Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into the world of virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Carl Bull. Dr. Bull is a researcher and expert in e-learning and XR. He's also the co-founder and chief product officer for Dexer, or D-E-X-R, which is an accessible platform that's hoping to offer immersive learning experiences that are not only effective, but also motivating to make. Solving the problem of XR adoption and scalability in smaller schools or districts is challenging enough, but Dr. Bull's research looks at how this might be solved for an entire country. So his team recently wrote a comprehensive paper that published in Tech Trends. So this paper presents a national-wide framework in his context for Belgium, but could be used elsewhere in the world. And it looks at five pillars, hardware, software, teacher professional development, practice-oriented research, and then coordination. So with this policy and framework, he's here today to talk a little bit more about his findings. Welcome to the show, Dr. Bull. Thank you, Greg, and thank you for the uh, introduction and for having me. Uh, looking forward to this uh, discussion. Yeah, I always like to start with an origin story. VR and XR are still relatively emerging. Mm -hmm. What got you interested and excited about the medium? Well, actually, I've always been into uh, educational technology. I've always wanted to know how we can leverage the learning and teaching processes uh, using technology. Uh, I've, I've been doing workshops for teachers, IT staff members and principals on digital assessment, collaborative learning, uh, technology for literature, and so on and so on for over 15 years. And uh, I was always eager to see how these technologies could provide teachers with new learning technologies, which could enhance the, 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 the learning process of the students. And at uh, around 2015, uh, I heard about uh, the Google Cardboard. Um, and immediately I thought, okay, I, I want to try this. So I started to experiment with it. Um, trying out several smartphone apps uh, still at that moment. And I noticed, okay, this, this takes technology a bit further. This can really uh, be something completely new. But it was only when about in 2016, uh, I visited the VR days, which uh, at this moment, uh, it was at that moment, it was still VR days in Amsterdam. Now it's Immersive Tech Week in Rotterdam. Um, and I was able to experience more high-end devices and more immersive experiences. And I, I, I instantly knew, okay, this is going to be big. This can really transform uh, education uh, in an unprecedented way. I also won a Samsung Gear at that moment, uh, at that event. So I could take it back home and, and 
experiment with 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 it myself, um, and then I was looking. Okay, how can we implement this in in education? What can it mean for my students? Um, and since then, I've been um, giving workshops, uh, designing uh, immersive learning experiences, um, and at uh, around 2017, 2018, I had the chance to dive into research on uh, XR uh, for education and corporate training, which uh, at this moment I'm still uh, doing. Carl, do you get any people who are just starting to explore VR again that say, you know what, I tried Google Cardboard and Samsung Gear VR and I just wasn't impressed and therefore put it on the back burner. Do you get that much? Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Uh, there, um, because uh, let's be honest, these are not the best uh, experiences. Uh, most of them are like the, the roller coaster uh, apps or, or uh, really scary apps. Or uh, when, when it's education, it's more uh, edutainment, more entertainment-like instead of real uh, fostering learning. So... I can imagine if that is your first experience um, that people tend to say, okay, uh, this is not what I'm looking for. But you have to be able to look further and to to really think about, okay, I can take this to the next level. I can really, uh, if it's implemented and designed well, uh, then it can really change uh, education for good. Speaking of changing education for good, uh, having been in this, genre myself for a few years it's not easy for a school or as i said at the introduction a district and yet you decided to actually tackle a whole nation i.e belgium Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know it's these complexities just kind of blow my mind what made you and your team decide to research and come up with a framework for the entire country? And then a second part to this question, your paper also just tackles vocational education. So so two parts to this question, why the whole country as a framework to try and solve scalability and then why vocational education? Uh, really good question. Uh, I think Let's, well, well, I'll have to be honest. Um, it was not our intention at first to uh, design a framework for uh, on a national level. So uh, let me go back. Uh, um, as part of my doctoral study on immersive virtuality in education, I did some uh, acceptance studies to find out, okay, which factors uh, drive or inhibit the acceptance of uh, immersive virtuality uh, for students and teachers. So in a first exploratory study, we interviewed um, five teachers, five IT staff members, five principals, and five uh, ad tech consultants uh, on how they... um, what, what their perspective is on IVR for education. And based on these interviews, we drafted then a survey um, in which we uh, questioned 400 teachers and over 2,000 students uh, to, to tap into their perceptions and to see, okay, uh, what are your perceptions on uh, IVR for education? Now, the results indicated that both groups really believed that uh, immersive virtuality could enhance their learning and teaching. So they really believed in the 
performance of, of, of this technology. However, what we also noticed was that um, to be able to enhance their learning and teaching, they needed support from um, the school management, both in terms of technical and uh, pedagogical uh, professional development. They needed hardware. They needed curriculum-aligned software. They needed uh, affordable uh, content. And also, very importantly, we saw that... um, one of the most um, significantly uh, um, impacting factors was the the level of personal innovativeness, the the extent to which a person is open to innovation. Now, um, when looking at these elements and looking at these factors, we thought about, okay, how can we now tackle these challenges? How can we uh, use these results to, to um, design an implementation plan. And when you think about it, um, the benefits of XR come into play when it's at a high scale because hardware is still rather expensive and can be quite cumbersome. Designing com- content is really uh, uh, costly. So what we noticed in the early days was that a lot of uh, several schools were designing kind of the same application, but they didn't know from each other. So this means that it's education, so it's it's public money. We should really think wisely about how spending uh, public investment and doing the same thing over and over, um, that's not really uh, cost efficient. So we took this on uh, on, on a national level and said, okay, if you really want to use your um, financial investments wisely, then you have to tackle them on a national scale. Um, And then designing one application with a lot of uh, students who can benefit from it. So uh, also uh, professional development, why should each school um, separately uh, invest in hardware, in software, in professional development? No, take it on a larger scale and then a lot of people can benefit. You can also um, set up a network and exchange uh, experiences and learn from each other. And this was the only way to tackle these challenges. We're going to talk in detail about your five pillars, but I'm going to review them for the listeners again. You look at hardware, you look at content or software, you look at teacher professional development, you looked at practice-orientated research and then coordination. Of those five, did any one of those pillars kind of stand out as being the a bigger challenge than the rest? Well, as I said, uh, as I mentioned before, um, this this plan is, is based on prior uh, research. So um, looking back at the results of these uh, uh, prior studies uh, and the quantitative uh, data, actually all pillars are quite at the same level. They are all equally important because 
you can not just do without any of them. They are they are all needed. Otherwise, you cannot just implement uh, XR in education in, a, in an effective way. You need hardware. You need software. Uh, teachers need to know how to work with them. And we need more research about, okay, how, how should we implement them um, effectively? And all these pillars have to be coordinated because otherwise uh, there are scattered in- initiatives and uh, people do not talk about what they are doing. So uh, they're all equally important from the data. When when um, looking at more qualitative research and, and when uh, looking back at the interviews and 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 talking uh, with with educational professionals in into more depth, we know that. The, the main concern is curriculum-aligned content. This is the really big barrier because um, hardware is not that expensive anymore. Uh, a, a MetaQuest is about uh, $500, so it's, it's feasible. Um, however, curriculum-aligned content can be very costly uh, to design. It's nearly uh, $50,000 to to design a a full-fledged XR training. So um, I think this is the main barrier and the Mm. main challenge. And um, because also teachers really want their um, content, their learning content to be tailored towards their own needs. Which of course is perfectly understandable, and it, it's 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 a good reflection. But for XR, this this can be very challenging because um, at this moment it's 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 mainly custom development, uh, which is rather expensive and is not scalable. So we need to address that challenge. Yeah, and one of the things that I get a lot from teachers with my consulting work is there's different genres that you can deploy that content. Some teachers, they want a a gamified, a serious game experience. Others are, Mm -hmm. I just want, I want retrieval practice. I want my students to be be able to go into an XR experience to review or pull out or retrieve information that I may have taught through a textbook or whatever. So the, the idea of deploying it isn't that simple because as teachers, who know instructional design, there's different genres that could be used to deploy these XR experiences. So well said, and we'll circle back to this topic. Let's start with, I don't often talk about hardware in this show, but it is getting more and more complex. And I noticed when I read your paper that you had an interesting solution. You know, it's funny because CES is going on right now in Las Vegas and it was just a huge surprise to me that Sony came out now with a headset. And, and so there's more and more headsets out there making the landscape of XR hardware even more complex for teachers. So in your paper, Carl, you guys offer a solution which is a rental system. Talk yeah. to us about that and why that might be a kind of a nationwide way to approach XR hardware. Yeah, as you mentioned correctly, uh, there's a diversity of hardware. Um, nearly every six months, there's a new uh, device coming out from a different manufacturer with different uh, sp- uh, specifics. Uh, um, so it's really difficult for teachers to decide 
what do I need? Um, first of all, because we all know there is a huge lack of uh, what we call interoperability. So uh, it, you, you just cannot transfer at this moment um, MetaQuest apps to uh, Pico uh, headsets and uh, vice versa. So it's a challenge because um, teachers do not well, at least they should not, or and I hope they don't, uh, first choose their hardware. No, they first choose the software. Well, what do I need? Um, which learning materials can I use in my classroom? And depending on the, the apps chosen, then you have to match, okay, um, uh, I'll, I'll need this hard type of hardware. However, um, at a school level, or at, at an even higher level, when you have a lot of uh, different educational domains, uh, such as uh, manufacturing, healthcare, uh, sports, and so on and so on, you will have a diversity of applications all on different platforms, which is a huge challenge then, of course, because yeah, then you need a diversity of hardware, which again raises the 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 the, uh, the barrier of cost because you have to invest in all these different types of um, hardware um, and i did not even mention uh, the, the the topic of um, of updating and maintaining <laughs> and all, all these different uh, types of hardware so um, we we thought okay teachers should not be concerned about hardware um, or which type of hardware they need. No, we propose a re rental system in which this diversity of hardware is uh, allowed. So we, we provide them with a diversity of, of uh, XR hardware, um, not only VR headsets, but also uh, mixed reality headsets, uh, AR um, tablets, and so on all in uh, mobile cases, which they can rent uh, for free. Um, and then they can experiment with it at first. Um, look how things work out uh, in their own uh, schools and classrooms. Um, find out what the, the perceptions and, and the... the uh, the experiences are of, of the teachers and then they can say, okay, this works for us at this moment. And then they can um, invest for themselves because let's be honest, a rental system on a national level, this means that not every school can use the, the same uh, hardware for the whole of the year. So it's a kind of a, a, a rental system for uh, two or three weeks, and then it, it goes on to the next school. But at this, we, we believe that this is, is, is only the, the first phase of, of this plan. But um, at this moment, it's, it's just about creating awareness and, and um, letting schools and teachers understand what it can do for their uh, classes. And then they can make their own um, choices, such as when they invest in laptops, they also make a requirements list. Uh, we need this, we need this, and okay, uh, this hardware will suit our needs best. So it's kind of the same, but it, it allows um, uh, schools to, to first experiment and to try out without 
investing themselves because the the, the first step is really the barrier. Uh, the, the schools only have limited budgets, so they do not want to invest in something which turns out later not to be uh, working for their uh, for their schools or their teachers. So this is really a, a good way to to um, allow um, for experimentation and then uh, an, an um, informed decision uh, to make of of own investments. And who would bear the burden or brunt of the cost to set up this rental system? Would it be the the government then? Yeah, so uh, in our uh, context, it's indeed the, the government. So the government um, uh, gave us funding, uh, 6.5 million euros, uh, to, to invest in uh, hardware and software and, and uh, professional development. So I, uh, so we invested a lot in, uh, in hardware and they are rented via... Um, governmental institutions. Uh, so these are institutions which have um, uh, the the mandate and and the, the and the funding from the or from the government to support schools in their innovation and to support schools in their um, uh, implementation of of new technologies. So they know the schools already. So it was easy to work via them because they have already this network. They they know uh, they are organized towards uh, supporting uh, schools in an efficient way. And also they are they are uh, uh, they have the mandate from the government because, um, as we noticed, schools uh, tend to see benefits, but if they do not uh, experience some kind of pressure or, or some kind of incentive uh, from the from the government that XR is a technology which is uh, valuable and uh, we have a long-term perspective for XR, then schools will not tend to <laughs> invest because then they think, okay, it's just the next big thing and uh, within uh, one year, it's something different. No, we, we had a vision, we had a mission statement and then based on that, um, we got the funding. So the schools now know, okay, um, this will have long-term effects and this whole infrastructure is set up for, for several years. So therefore they know um, we will be supported for, uh, for a longer period and we, we, we should um, step into this uh, innovation too. I really liked that you said that the biggest place to start has to be content and curriculum alignment. And, you know, you just finished talking about the long-term goal of any tech tool, whether it's XR or something else, should be that you make this investment for a long period of time and not a shiny new toy. And so I wholeheartedly believe that if a teacher is going to use something more than once, it's going to provide value. And, and if it's going to provide value, then of course it has to do what it needs to do, which is to enhance what they're teaching. Mm -hmm. So that said, one of the recommendations that you made in your paper that I'd like you to clarify goes something like this. I'm going to read it sort of as a quote. It is recommended to draft a list of qualitative XR learning experiences based on evidence-informed criteria, offering schools a practical instrument 
to decide if and how they want to implement XR in their courses. Can you clarify that for the listeners? Yes. Um, so the, the main question uh, teachers ask to um, pedagogical organizations, to, to researchers is, which content is valuable to spend my money on? And it's a good question because, um, unfortunately, there is a lot of XR content uh, focused on education, but really not designed in a proper way. So the the danger is then that um, students will not improve their learning. They will not improve their um their processing of the information and these detrimental results will be blamed on the XR technology. The problem, however, is it's not the XR technology, but is it is the design of the XR uh, content, which is not done properly by um, technology providers who do not have a firm understanding of how XR learning works because it it really is still rather difficult we know already uh, several elements we know already s- several design principles but there's still a long um, journey ahead to really understand the the uh, how to design uh, ivr uh, learning experiences uh, effectively now what we did is, based on the studies uh, we have up to now, we drafted some criteria. And when uh, searching the web for um, content, and we found content, we asked for a demo, and we, we evaluated the, the content based on those criteria. And then we just uh, give them a score. And based on those criteria and those scores, we decide, okay, this is a valuable um, uh, learning experience or hmm, this is merely entertainment or this is nice, uh, as, as you mentioned, as a, a toy-like uh, experience, but it will not uh, enhance uh, learning or teaching, then we should not uh, invest in it uh, from an educational perspective, of course. Um, what we also tried to, to do is, for example, uh, we used also the, the summer um, uh, framework by Puente Dura, uh, uh, the, the substitution, augmentation, modification, redefinition, because it's, although it's not very um, qualified, uh, so to speak, it, it provides a lens for teachers and educational uh, professionals to think wisely about will this actually redefine or modify my uh, my uh, teaching because it is still a an investment both in terms of financial cost but also in organizational uh, structures uh, just just the the plug and play is still not here uh, it's still quite um, cumbersome in terms of organization to to use uh, uh, IVR technology in, in, in classrooms. So you have to really think wisely about when to uh, implement it, when to apply it, and when not. That is so well said. And 
this could be a whole whole other episode because uh, again, I followed a lot of what you put up on LinkedIn, and you know when you were explaining that things like cognitive load came to mind, or when someone goes in a, a properly well designed VR experience, do they have the scaffolds and do they have the the wayfinding? so that they're not confused by the experience itself and they simply plop themselves into a correct learning experience. But like I said, that that could be a whole new episode. The other thing that I worry about when it comes to content, and I've also seen Carl myself, is there's this sort of tension between, you know, here's your library of Netflix-like VR experiences versus this tug where teachers, just like a, a workbook or practice exercises, teachers like to modify them slightly. They may not want all the questions on a worksheet, but they really just want to delete the first three and then deploy mm -hmm. as practice a worksheet that just has maybe questions four, five, and six. Same idea I've seen with VR experiences that might be a five-minute VR experience but they really just want like the first 50 or first three minutes or the last four minutes. So this, this tension, Carl, between having it customized and bespoke versus a library that, you know, a teacher looks at and says it just doesn't quite fit. How do you, how do you bridge that gap between this sort of tug of war? Yeah, I, I think you, you put it correctly again. Um, there is, indeed a challenge uh, because as i mentioned before at this moment it's still quite uh, expensive to to design from a custom development perspective it's it's really uh, um, quite costly also because uh, we have to be honest, we're in immersive learning for ourselves for already many years but very uh, uh, a lot of other teachers should re even start with their first steps in XR technology. So this means that the the, the market is not yet that big for uh, XR software developers to to sell their products, uh, even not on a national on a, on a global scale, because uh, the educational system in all countries is is different, uh, even in, in different regions. So these are challenging um, to to deploy uh, custom development, which uh, fits several needs. Um, uh, I think indeed one of the the, the elements which uh, is crucial is the modular uh, design, uh, as you mentioned, different exercises that that teachers can decide from from themselves. Sorry. Um, which modules from a larger um, training or learning experience fits the needs for their students? Because all, apart from um, curriculum uh, over, con over diversity of con uh, countries, um, each classroom is different, mm -hmm. uh, even within the same country. So teachers know their students and know what 
um, which instructional practices work best for which mm -hmm. student. So they have to be able actually to tailor the uh, XR learning content to their uh, specific students. Um, we see it in e-learning. For example, we have a lot of uh, uh, applications uh, like uh, WooClab, AH5P, and so on, which provide a kind of um, template structure, and then you you tailor, you modular it towards your own needs. And I really believe that, uh, and it's not only my belief, it's it's also what, what's uh, been said before from several studies that uh, teachers want uh, tailored, no, they want to be able to tailor their uh, learning content towards their uh, specific needs uh, because they really want to provide their students with the best learning experiences. You guys also looked at, of course, professional development and Having been a teacher myself for 30 years, one of the things that's really frustrated me about professional development within the education sector is this one-off notion. So, you know, we might go to a conference or we'll attend a webinar and it's a one-off experience and then I go back to my school and I basically forget about it. And, mm -hmm. and you guys talk a bit about this in your paper, which I think, again, is, is brilliant and you offer, again, another neat idea or solution called the XR Academy. Tell us a bit about this. Well, if you allow me, I'll, I'll step uh, back uh, a bit because um, I think it's really important to, to provide uh, some um, guidance for the, for the professional development initiatives. Because as you mentioned correctly, um, it's often a one-off experience, but also it's very often a one-person experience. So there's one person from, from the school who is into innovation and who's into uh, these new technologies and uh, goes to a conference, brings back uh, a lot of new ideas, talks about it with the colleagues and the other colleagues said, ah, no, no, that's, not, that, that's nothing for me. So this is really problematic. And if if we know from research there are some distinct features of effective professional development. So it should be uh, tailored um, towards uh, the improvement of student learning. It's not just about, um, it's strengthening the teacher, but the main goal the, of the end goal is to, to improve student learning. It also should be collective or collaborative. So uh, we designed our uh, professional development initiatives always as a team uh, initiative. So you are only allowed to these development uh, programs if you come with a school team of at least three people with uh, someone with the decision makers. The decision makers should be in this team too because let's be honest, it all comes down to the people with the money to decide whether it will be implemented, yes or no. So if you drag them into this um, professional development and they understand the, the pros and the cons and they understand why some um, financial uh, consequences should be met, then they they tend to, to be implemented uh, more quickly. Also, it should be uh, about... Uh, 
active participation and it's it should be a long-lasting program uh, some studies even talk about uh, up to 20 hours of professional development over a longer period of time to really uh, get an impact so indeed this this one-off uh, initiatives do not pay off uh, unfortunately um, um, so in 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 our plan in our context we we drafted uh, two initiatives as you mentioned the xr academy which is actually um, we talked about the rental system if schools want to use the rental system and uh, rent it for free for some time they have to follow a prior training in which they get a basic understanding of the xr technology so they know uh, how to tackle the, the basic uh, technical uh, issues, uh, how to set up boundaries, how to um, uh, put uh, new content on the on the device and so on. Because if you do not know this, then when the, 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 the mobile devices come to your school, um, to be able to, to really have impact, then... Um, you should be proficient in at least these basics because otherwise it's 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 it, you have nearly three weeks of, of uh, availability and you spend one week just on technical hassle this is this should not be the case so we have a a, a prior training mainly focused on uh, technical uh, proficiency and then we have what we call the learning network um, and it's more about the didactic uh, and the pedagogical uh, if, uh, proficiency so we we um, group schools in teams and uh, let them think about uh, how their their uh, educational practices uh, could be uh, enhanced using XR technology. Uh, well, we let them design new, uh, completely new courses um, when implementing this uh, XR technology. Then they can experiment with the XR devices themselves and uh, uh, draw lessons from it, redesign in an iterative approach. Um, and also what is very important to exchange experiences with, with each other, to learn from each other because we all have the kind of the same challenges and the, 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 the same needs or endeavors. So why not learn from each other? Uh, I think in education, we really should open up our classroom doors more to each other. And because it, we, could, we could do such great things uh, when we listen more to each other and, and um, be more open to um, what, what other um, peers uh, have experienced. In this model, one of the struggles with the profession of being a teacher is time. So mm -hmm. the reason lots of professional development programs fall short is because teachers have a, a hard time committing to, you know, a 20-hour, uh, throughout the year, a 20-hour experience. So sometimes some programs offer incentives. You talked about, you know, a free opportunity for free rental were there other motivating factors that you considered for busy teachers who may sort of struggle with saying you know sign me up i i want to put 20 hours into this yeah well there are a lot of ins uh, there are several incentives as i mentioned before the main incentive was 
the government uh, designed a, a mission statement stating to the, the schools, okay, this is something you should pay attention to. This is important and we want you to invest in it. This is not just uh, on a voluntary basis. Uh, this is something which which is it's not obligated, but it's strongly advised. And so, uh, before this 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 mission statement, it, it was only the innovative schools. Mm -hmm. it, it were only like twenty schools who were interested, and the other uh, the others thought, okay, it looks nice, but uh, not for me. But now there's the, the this this framework and this this uh, this vision and this mission. So schools and 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 uh, managers, uh, school managers, understand that they have to invest in it. Second, um, by dragging the uh, decision makers and the managers into these programs too, they understand what it can. Um, do for their schools, how it can improve, how it can uh, be beneficial to themselves to to uh, get started with this technology. And uh, as always, um, you can talk about virtual reality as much as you want. But that that does not bring any value. You really have to experience it yourself, and then you you finally understand. Okay, but this is what they mean with virtual reality. Okay, this is something completely different. Now I understand the, the so-called hype. So by by dragging them into these programs and putting actually a headset on their heads themselves, they understand, ah, okay, I understand why, why people uh, put value on this, why people are interested in this. And they immediately understand um, this can also be um, of economical benefit because they can save a lot of money on other spendings by investing in one-time um, offerings of the, the of uh, VR uh, designs. So uh, it's important to get that understanding. And then you, uh, of course, when you invest in something, you want it to pay off. You want a return on investment or a return on expectations. But how do you get this uh, return on investment? It's only by an effective implementation. They really want to see the results better. They won't really want to see that there are savings. So when you explain to them that they can only reach this um, return on investment by spending money and time to their teachers uh, to be more proficient in this, then they will 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 uh, be nudged or they will be uh, open to actually invest uh, in in more time for their teachers. I want to talk now a little bit more about research because research in the humanities, especially in education, is a very complex and tricky thing. Absolutely. So in your paper, you allude to this. You said greater need for research into actual classrooms instead of just relying on research in controlled environments. And I echo this. I, I try and as much as I can read 
educational research and often we use what what's called smile sheets or simply just relying on how happy someone was as a measure or assessment as to how effective a tool is like XR. So I love this notion that you, you need to get into the classrooms because sometimes classrooms are unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we think it works in a controlled setting, but then we get into, especially when it's XR and, you know, maybe like you said, the, the experience is so poorly designed that the reason it had no effect on improving outcomes in learning was the experience and not the tool. So what implications then do we have in regards to this sort of troublesome area of trying to create these controlled studies that allow us to better say definitively that, yes, it does improve learning and learning outcomes, or no, it doesn't? Yep. I think it's a very interesting and intriguing question, uh, especially as a researcher myself. But um, I think the answer lies uh, in the middle, Um, as always, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think we need fundamental research because every um, large-scale implementation with youngsters and children should be evidence-informed. We cannot just experiment with children and then see how things work out that's not that's not uh, uh, ethically uh, uh, viable so i i really believe that we need fundamental research to 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 guide um, uh, decisions and to to guide uh, uh, educational practices but for me personally I make a firm distinction between evidence-informed and evidence-based because evidence-based really means you can only do what is uh, proven from research. But that doesn't work in education because the the settings, the the laboratory-controlled settings are just completely different from socially uh, dynamic uh, uh, classroom uh, settings. So I tend to uh, go for uh, um, evidence-informed, which means that we use what's uh, known from research and then implement it as best as possible, uh, taking the context into account uh, of, of, uh, of the dynamic context. Um, because yeah, it's not because it works in control settings that it actually controls too, uh, works too in, 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 in classroom. There are a lot of other things which come into play. So uh, that's why I also really believe that, that uh, in, in, in um, design research, because then you uh, take into account a, uh, a priori uh, from the start the the, the the implementation context and then you start actually from the context uh, instead of just designing something and and then just implementing it uh, abruptly that's also why I, I when referring to the content uh, again and um, why, why the one size fits all uh, approach does not work because and, and, and a specific um, 
application can work for, for one group of students, but absolutely not for, for another group of students. Uh, so you really need to be um, to take care of, of, the, of the context of, of the implementation. And unfortunately, for me, it, it, that, that is something which is um, done both in research and both in uh, commercial design way too uh, scarcely. Which is a great segue. I have two other questions I want to wrap up with, and they have to do with the second hat that you wear, and I alluded to this at the introduction. So not only are you an amazing researcher, but you also are chief product officer and CEO of something called DEXR or DEXR. Mm -hmm. So there are many VR design platforms out there on the market. Some I talk about on this show are Frame VR, Engage VR, Mozilla Hubs. But you've decided from some of the work that you've been doing these many, many years to design a company that now creates a XR platform where educators might be able to create or tweak their own customized VR experiences. Tell us kind of the, the, the genesis of this and uh, maybe I'll, I'll wrap up with one other question then. Yep. Um, so yeah, indeed, we, we established an other company, uh, Dexer, because as a researcher and as a prior uh, independent consultant for XR Learning, I noticed that um, we can only get towards effective learning with a proper uh, XR learning design. However, when you refer to, for example, FrameVR, EngageVR, and Mozilla Hubs, first of all, these platforms are not all uh, specifically designed for learning or training. EngageVR, of course, is... is uh, uh, focused towards education, but um, it's more about the, the, the social uh, learning. Uh, it, it's not really about the learning content itself. Um, so this is, uh, for from my perspective, when, when, when uh, trying to design effective learning experiences, this is problematic because they, these these platforms, which, by the way, are really great, but they do not foster the design of effective IVR learning experiences. They are just uh, platforms which can be used freely for different variety of, of um, uh, use cases. Um, our platform is really focused on fostering learning and corporate training so it 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 takes the the creator uh, via a wizard into a, a stepwise design and each step is based on um, insights from research so our platform too uh, of course I'm a researcher so it's really important to me it is evidence informed so we we guide the teacher or the instructor or the designer towards the, the effective design by, by uh, directing um, them towards what is a good learning experience. For example, um, 
we start with the, the first question we start in our result is what are your learning goals? This is the first question. This is the first pop-up. This is completely different from any other um, authoring tool at this moment. Um, but that's the way we think about how to how to tailor effective learning designs. You start from the learning goals. You start from, okay, what do I want to reach? Then we have a graphic organizer and so on and so on. So it's, it's really a completely different uh, design of 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 the of the of the software um, tailored towards uh, effective learning. It's 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 based on um, instructional design principles which have shown value in uh, research, uh, but also of course tailored towards uh, the authoring. It's also uh, it's it's also a no code uh, platform, which means because. Teachers and instructors, they do, they, have, they do not have to spend their time on coding or uh, designing 3D uh, objects and so on. They should be focused on teaching and creating great learning materials. So our platform allows them to create great learning materials. And hey, it happens to be XR. So... That, that's the that's the idea. It, we, we provide the e-learning e for XR because that's what 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 the final goal is. Teachers want uh, performant and 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 efficient and effective and and um, enjoyable XR learning content for their students to enhance their teaching and their and their um, learning processes. It's not just because it's XR. No. Learning come first, and then the the three D um, content. And when when comparing our platform with with other uh, competitors, you see the completely different approach. Um, so yeah, that's what 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 stands out. Amazing, you know, trying to democratize this for teachers is not easy. And you know, I often allude to what I coin the Google Doc moment. As soon as it got really easy for teachers back in the 90s and early 2000s to create their own Google Doc, they were modifying and changing what they deployed to students for retrieval practice left, right, and center because it was easy for them now to create their own. So I wholeheartedly believe in what you're trying to do and, and look forward to diving into your platform. I'm mindful of time, so I sort of always want to end with a bit of an open-ended question, and and that is, you know, is there anything else maybe we haven't covered or talked about that you think the listeners might want to hear? Well, I think um, there are great times ahead for us. Um, I also want to take a bit care of of uh, the whole AI um, acceleration because. I, I am a bit scared of of uh, how AI uh, might um, change uh, companies, organizations, uh, and so on towards uh, just having to implement AI uh, without having thought about it uh, uh, wisely. Um, and also... Uh, XR has has still a lot uh, to be um, um, discovered. Uh, there, there's a lot to 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 investigate. Um, so 
I, I really think that that uh, immersive learning has a broad future, uh, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to to build uh, this future together with uh, uh, educators. Amazing, Carl. Thanks so much for paving the way in regards to that. How could people, if they're interested, for example, in Dexer or some of your research that you've put out, how might they learn more about your work? All right. Uh, I think the easiest way is to, just to follow me on uh, LinkedIn because I uh, try to to uh, put content as much as possible via my uh, LinkedIn profile uh, uh, I hope uh, to spread the word on immersive learning uh, via this uh, this uh, LinkedIn uh, platform. Um, as for Dexer, of course, you can uh, just uh, check out the website. Uh, it's uh, dexer.eu. Um, everybody uh, is feel uh, free to uh, to check out and reach out to us. And as for research, uh, I publish my research always on ResearchGate. So also uh, feel free to check out. And otherwise, you will find my email uh, everywhere across the <laughs> internet, I believe. So you, you really, uh, you will be able to, to reach out to me. No doubt about that. Thanks, Carl, for being on the show. Thank you for having me. And uh, it was a really interesting discussion. Uh,